Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat real quick. The worship team's not going to walk off the stage. I want to share a couple of things with you just kind of real quick. And this is the deal. This is, this is what I want to share with you. We are entering into a sermon series that we call Song Psalms. Okay? Um, Psalm Songs. Actually, I got that backwards. It's Psalms Songs. We've been doing this for years and years and years. And I just want to lay a little bit of groundwork with you for what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it. We started this. Um, we've been at church for almost 12 years now. And we started this um, barely a year into it, maybe a year and a half into the church. And it's, it's from this verse in 1 Corinthians. Let me share it with you what Paul says. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, although I'm not free from the God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. So here's our point. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Now, the, re the, the, the purpose for this, this intro is that what we're about to do is not a worship song. What we're about to do is a song. Okay? And for the next couple of weeks, you are, we are going to open up every single message with a song. All the so, uh, messages are going to come out of the book of Psalms. Okay? Because this is what happens. There's songs in your life, you know, when you weren't listening to K-Love and Air One and all like that. You were listening to what's ever on your radio right now. And you're driving around and you can remember the first time you heard that song. You know, there, there, there's a song and it's like all of a sudden it takes you back to that moment. And you're like, oh yeah, I remember that. Um, I have a, 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 an example now that she's over there teaching. Um, you know, there's a song by Tommy James and the Shondells called Crimson and Clover. You may or may not know that song based on the fact that you're younger than me, okay? But I promise you, every time that comes on the radio, I remember that little girl who was the first little girl I ever danced with at a dance, okay? Because I was terrified of dancing. But I remember... That I wasn't in love with her. It wasn't romantic. Well, I was in love with her, but it wasn't romantic and like all like that. It was just a dance that I went to. And, you know, I'm not going to say her name because, I mean, you know, she's still alive and out there somewhere. And she might be like, oh, my word, that guy. Um, and that's okay. But it takes me back to j just a moment in my life. So you'll be driving around in the car and all of a sudden, you know, Tommy James and Shondells come on. It's like, oh, man, I remember that. Yeah. Songs do something for us. The psalmist even says, I remember. Remember your songs in the night. When, when my soul is dark, I remember the songs, and we do that. So what we want to do is, and what we've been doing for the last, you know, 11 years or so, is that we've been taking a psalm and connecting it to a song so that when you're driving around in your car and you hear that, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that message. That message was about this. And, and lest you, you know, think that that doesn't happen, you would be surprised at the number of people that came into this church during the summer and, have, and, and will say to me personally and have said to me, and they've said, oh, yeah, our first Sunday was when you were, the worship leader was doing like me and Bobby McGee. And then you preached about, and then you just went right down, and they could lay it all out. It happens. Or somebody will just text me and say, or text me and say, it happened. Yeah, I heard this song and you were right. All I heard was you preaching this message or whoever was on stage preaching that message that Sunday morning. That's what we're doing. 
So that's what we're all about. Our goal is to take a song, connect it to a psalm, and keep it stuck in your head. Now, here's the, here's the, 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 the end of it, so to speak. My idea of classic music is not really classic music anymore. My idea of classic music is like archaic music, you know, like deep history now. You know, when I say a song and I say, hey, what about this song? They're like, what's that? It's like, oh my goodness. Okay, you pick a song. So I've given them a psalm. We're going to look at Psalm 18. That's what we're going to look at. And we're going to look, we're going to look at David saying, God, look at how you brought me through. Look how far Okay, how far we've come. And some of you are going to know this song and you are welcome to sing along with it. You don't have to get up. You're welcome to clap along with it. But I want this song by this group to stick in your head with this psalm from David. Like every other morning before Now I wonder what my life is gonna mean 
You know that Psalm song, huh? Yeah, well, let's connect it. Let's, let's make a connection with this. this I, I mean, I don't know, you know, um, MJ sent me the song. I sent her what I wanted to preach about. She sent me the song. And I was like, what about, you know, like Bubba Shot the Jukebox? Do you know that one? And she's like, no. It's like, okay, okay. So I, I was looking at these words. Now, you people think I preach fast. How about that guy singing over there with the guitar and playing? Holy cow. MJ, she picked a great one for her team to be doing for this particular uh, word of the Lord that I want to share with you. And it is a word of the Lord. It's not just like, a, let's find a cool song and then find a psalm. It's like, no, this is what I believe God wants to say. Let's connect it um, to a song and let's do it that way. And so um, that's what we're doing. But man, what a song. I had, to, I had to look at the words because, I mean, you know, the, the tune is all like this, right? It's, this is the tune and this is the words. Oh man, it's a, in my head it's an Eeyore song, you know what I'm saying when I say that? The sky is falling, all is lost, let's just sit down here and watch it all burn down. But he's saying it like he's had too much coffee. He's so excited, you know, about the fact that the world is coming to an end. I guess it's over now and it's like, whoa, is that not the world that we live in right now? People are like, man, it's coming to an end, it's over. Man, just let it all burn, let it go. And I'm here to say no, it's not because even in the midst, even in the midst of things going crash in our lives, and I'm not talking about COVID or politics, I'm just saying, when things are struggling and going crash in our lives, God is still up to something. He's never not working. I know it's a double negative. I get that. Don't send me an email. But I'm just saying, he's never not working. And so when something's going on and we don't understand it, what we want to do is we want to grab a hold of the idea that the Lord is moving and we want to do it like David did in Psalm 18. Check this out in Psalm 18. It says, for the director of music, for the director of music, of David, the servant of the Lord. I, you know, David just, just, that's just David's way of saying, listen, I wrote this song for Jesus. And he takes it to his worship leader and says, sing that. I can't wait to the day where the Lord just downloads me a song in 15 minutes. And I just walk in and say, MJ, we're doing this song. And she looks at me and goes, yeah, no. We're not doing that song, you know. But David was not just like the pastor. He was the king. So when he shows up with a song and says, I wrote this, you better say, man, that's the best song we ever saw. We're going to do that song this weekend, okay. But that's what that says. I mean, that's literally what that says. For the director of music. I wrote this song, and it's for the director of music. I wrote it, David, the servant of the Lord. And then it says, he sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hands of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So this is, this is what David wrote when he was delivered from the hand of Saul. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death tangled me, entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me, and in my distress I called to the Lord, and I cried to my God. 
God for help. From his temple he heard my voice and my cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked and the foundations of the mountain shook and they trembled because he was angry. And smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and he came down and dark clouds were under his feet and he mounted the cherubim and he flew and soared on wings of the wind and he made darkness his covering his canopy around him the dark rain clouds of the sky out of the brightness of his presence the clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning and the Lord thundered from heaven and the voice of the most high resounded and he shot arrows and scattered the enemies with great bolts of lightnings he routed them the valleys of the sea were exposed the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke Lord at the blast of breath from your nostrils he reached down from on high and took a hold of me and he drew me out of deep waters and he rescued me from my powerful enemy from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place and rescued me because he delighted in me. And so today we're looking at David's psalm. And David is saying, I just need to tell you everything that the Lord did for me. You ever been in that place where, like the writer of our song, he's, the song is, look how far we've come, but um, the, the statement is, let's just all sit down, nothing's moving fast enough, it's all in slow motion, it's all, we're all going to die, it's all burning to the ground, all is lost. You ever, you ever been there? You've been there in a place where you're like, man, nobody likes me, nobody invites me to a party. You're there when you're thinking, man, um, you know, I just wish we had a different job, I, you know, I could have a different income, I just wish that people weren't always calling me giving me grief. You know, we, we go through things like that as human beings. We do. We face hurdle after hurdle after hurdle, and they're never going to go away. We're always going to have something that we need to call on the Lord for strength and help in to get through, and the Lord is going to get us through it, and it's going to be okay. We'll keep doing this thing. But this is David's psalm. And you got to understand that, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit too, but David's been anointed king already. And you don't think that that got back to Saul? You think Samuel did that for David and nobody saw it and nobody talked about it? I'm telling you, you can't keep a secret like that. We can't keep a secret in Richmond, Kentucky. You know what I mean? Somebody says something and six months later you're like, well, I know what they said about you. Did you hear this? And it's like, come on. David got anointed as the new king and the old king was still alive being the king. And pretty soon, David is his son-in-law, okay? And so here he is sitting at the family dinner when all of a sudden the king jumps up, grabs a spear and chucks it right at him, sticks it in the wall behind his head and he's running out the door as fast as... Have you ever been somewhere where your father-in-law chucked a spear at your head? See, we don't have it that bad, do we? I mean, David's got it pretty rough. You know, I had a rough start with my in-laws, and, and God bless them. I mean, they loved me and, and let me know that, but at first it was like, yeah, we're not sure about this guy. I mean, seriously, right? Some of you came in here the same way when you first came to Vineyard, like, yeah, we're not sure about this guy. Uh, that's okay with me. I'm good with it. I told my wife, just hang on. We'll earn their respect. We'll show them. And this will be 38 years in for us this year. And I'm excited about that. But at the end of the day, David is saying, let me recount to you. Let me back up and show you everything that God has done. Because I'm telling you, the enemy is always speaking into your ear. The enemy is always telling you you're not enough. 
The enemy is always saying, but you sinned. But if somebody finds out about your shame, then what? And we're always, you know, we get that cold, clammy feeling when we think, oh, I think they know. And I'm not here to say today is the day we're all going to put our sin out there on a flagpole. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when you get to that place when you think, man, God's not noticing me. I don't have any friends. I feel all alone. That's the time, like with David, that you back up and you say, wait a second. Where were you a year ago in your life with Christ? Where were you two years ago? Where were you five years ago? Just stop and think for just a second. Five years ago, what was your relationship to God and your life like? See, because there are times in our lives where it's important for us to look back, right? We need to look back and see how far we've come. Like the guy said in the song, this is how far we've come. We need to see what's going on. We need to take a look at this. And that's in stark contrast to what Jesus said though, right? Because Jesus said that no man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. But what's Jesus talking about? Jesus isn't just talking about looking back and going, oh yeah, look where God brought us. What he's talking about, he's making a reference to the children in the wilderness. You remember when, when Moses led them out into the wilderness and we're free, we're free, it's great, we're free. All we got is rice stuff, white things on the ground to eat. That's nasty. Are we going to starve to death out here? Come on, Moses, you got to feed us. We need quail, we need food, we need water. We, it sounds like your kids, right? We need some more of this, we need some more of that. And Moses out there like, God, your children are going to kill me. And the children are like, man, we should have just stayed in Egypt. You know what? That's what we should have done. We should have stayed in Egypt, stayed by the Nile. We got worms and, and onions to eat. I mean, leeks and, and, and onions. That's worms and onions. Like, oh man, we had it made. We were slaves. Yeah, we had to build the pyramids. But man, you know, at least we weren't dying in the wilderness. Ever felt like you're dying in the wilderness? Like, man, life's dry. My walk with God is dry. I want things to get better. Jesus is saying, don't look back and say, I wished I was a sinner. I wished I was still sinning. I wished I was still in Egypt. Look forward and say, this is where God's taking me. You can look back and say, this is how far he brought me. But don't look back for the, the old days. Did, did your grandparents ever wish that they could, you know, man, I wish we had the old days again. Remember that? Yeah, well, you listen to Granny, what she says. How did they get their ham for Easter dinner? They hung the pig in the tree, gutted it, cleaned the casings, you know what that means, scraped the intestines out, ground up the meat, pushed it back into the intestines with a little bit of spice, okay, and then put it down in the cellar. You want the old days? Nah, I'm going to Kroger's, okay? You forget that the old days were labor intensive. You know in the old days, back up 100, 150 years, people used to walk an average of eight miles a day. That's why we were healthier back then. Literally, hey, go back out in the South 40 and get the cows, right? You're only living on 40 acres, but they're on the back side of the farm. You send your five-year-old across the creek, through the woods, out to the pasture to bring the cows in, and you don't give a second thought to it. Yeah, cows should be up in about 40 minutes. We wouldn't do that today. Man, I won't send a five-year-old to the mailbox. It's like, you get the mailbox, but I'm watching. I'm looking out the window. Yeah. Hey, you come right back. Don't talk to that neighbor. Come in here. Let's go. You know, that's the world we live in. That's what this guy's singing about. But look how far we've come. 
Don't, don't think that everything is, is just all ash and coal. Things are good. They really are. If we'll just look at what happens when we look back. You know, looking back is not always a good idea, okay? If you're driving, looking back at that, no, that's not a good idea, you know? And some of you know what I'm talking about, okay? And let's don't share this message with my wife. She watched the first one. She doesn't need to see this one. But when she's driving, she will look at me and she will talk and talk and talk. And it's like, eyes forward, eyes forward, eyes forward. Can you imagine turning clear around like that? And some of you do that because you've got your shoe off and you're whacking your kids. You know, hush up back there. And it's like, you're going to hit something. Looking back is not good when you're driving. Not at all. Looking, these are just all experiences I've had. Looking back is not good when you're in a curve on a motorcycle. Do not look back. Okay? Watch the curve. Okay? Um, looking back is not always good unless you're, excuse me, if you're not interested in finding healing for yourself. Emotional, relational healing. It, it, do you know it's uh, Mental Health um, Awareness Month? Man, I'm, I'm excited for that. Man, man, if you're going through a struggle, find, find a counselor. It's great stuff. It really is. I, I can't support that enough. Don't, don't let there be a thing about it, okay? There's not a thing unless we make a thing. But anyway, anyway, don't look back, okay? Don't look back unless you want healing. If you want healing, then sometimes you have to look back. I went to a two-week um, in-house clinic um, one time because I was pretty messed up. And, and the guy kept saying, let's talk about four-year-old Joe and his father. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. And he said, well, we need to. And my wife finally leaned over and said, you know, the church is paying for you to be here. And this guy's a professional. Literally said this out loud in front of the man. Maybe we ought to do what he says. <laughs> I thought, well, you know, she's smart. She's got a point. That guy went to school and everything. And he gave me all kinds of tools to help with. So looking back is not good unless you want healing. Looking, bad is not, looking back is not good for the restoration of relationships. Because if you look back, you're going to fix the relationship. If you don't look back, then you can keep trying to go forward, but it will catch up. Um, looking back is not always productive to, to travel. Not just driving, travel, right? Guys, you know what it's like. You know what I'm talking about. You know, guys enter a minivan or a car like, you know, they're going to the Daytona 500. Come on, let's fire this baby up. Get in there and buckle up. Race about to begin. We got to get to the school before anybody else does. You know, the, the car line drop-off thing starts in 10 minutes and you're 11 minutes out. But you want to get to the front of the line. Yeah. Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? It's not just a, a trip to the school. It's the, it, the Daytona five, 500. You're going. It's on. My wife and I, when we would travel, little kids in the back would be like, hey, I got to go potty. And it's like, we just stopped for gas. I know, but I got to potty. Why didn't you go when we got gas? I didn't have to go then. It was two minutes ago. Listen, I'm not stopping for another four hours. I could go four hours on this tank of gas, so just hold it. My wife's like, hey, you need to stop. And it's like, do you understand that if I stop so this child can go to the bathroom, I'm going to get back on the highway and that truck that I passed two hours ago down the road that I was mad at because the other truck blocked me in and I had to work and work and work 20 minutes to get around that truck. He's going to pass me. Can't be having people pass us when we're driving. Don't look back. You can't be doing that. That's how a man drives. You know? And then my wife, when we get in the car, she says, you know, the phone says it's 43 minutes. And my brain says, 
challenge accepted. <laughs> and then about 10, 20 minutes into the trip, she says, baby, you shaved off three minutes. And I said, hang on. I can do better. You know, I'm going to beat that thing. It's going to happen. So we just have to be careful because we don't want to look back. But you know what? Sometimes it's important to look back. Sometimes it is really, really important. We need, to, we need to see what God has done in our lives so that we don't fall. We need to look back and say, look how far we've come. I, I wanted to call this message or use the word Ebenezer. I don't know if you've ever heard the word Ebenezer before other than Scrooge and the you know, Christmas Carol. But the word Ebenezer means this far have we come with the Lord or this far has the Lord brought us. And I think sometimes it's okay to do that. And I'm not talking about us as a church. I talk about that all the time. Look how far we've come as a church. But what about you as an individual? What about you're going through a difficult time, facing a difficult thing? You, you don't know what the Lord's going to do. You don't know where he's working. And you're just like ready to throw your hands up. And you're just like, oh man, I don't know what to do. What about we just stop and we look back? David was a shepherd boy, a young man. He killed a bear, he killed a lion, he stoned a giant. He himself was an incredible tactician in war. He was the anointed man of God by Samuel himself. Why doesn't David just stop and look back at all the things that God has already done in his... You know you're not here by accident. And if you're not here by accident, do you know that you survived 2020? And in surviving 2020, can't I get you to believe that God has something in store for you? That he needs you on behalf of the kingdom of God. He wants you on behalf of the kingdom of God. He wants you. He's not settling for you. He literally wants you and has a plan for you. Think about where you've come from. I grew up in a difficult home. I'm not going to get into it deeply, but let me just run through it real quick. I'm the second of five children. I'm the oldest son. Our home was steeped in sin as a result of our ignorance and our rebellion. My dad was in the Air Force, so we traveled a lot, and that's a good thing, but it's a bad thing. I was in four schools in one school year. I've lived in Maine, Spain, Germany, South Carolina, New Hampshire, Ohio, and Texas, and most all of that was before I graduated high school. I graduated high school in 1978 in New Carlisle, Ohio. I was raised Catholic in a militant, violent, and angry home. I was scared. I was introverted. And in Kentucky, you would say I was backwards as a child. I was. People terrified me. All I ever wanted was for my dad to hug me and tell me that he loved me and that he was proud of me. That was a whole sum of it. And that ship sailed and, and I'm still being moved forward by God. My mom did the best that she could to love and protect us. I was super artistic and not athletic. I was raised in the 60s and 70s. Did I say I was super artistic in the 60s and 70s? I thought my parents, really, my mom at least, really loved me until I look back at my pictures and I think, Mom, how did you let me out of the house looking like that? Well, honey, you just had artistic soul. It's like, I got beat up. I got bullied because of that. It was the 60s and 70s, and I made sure that I looked like it threw up all over me. And I went to school as a shy child and wondered why things didn't go well. I was going to get bullied that way. I grew up believing that my dad hated me. It doesn't mean it was real. It was just a feeling. It was a belief. I also went to Mass and believed that God must have hated Jesus because he was still up there. So I lived believing that sooner or later God would send me to hell because that's all I deserved. I literally, I believed that. That's all I deserved was hell. 
At 17, I surrendered or accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior because I didn't want to go to hell in a little Mennonite church in Medway, Ohio. It was after a youth gathering, a special speaker. I was on my way home. It wasn't until later that I began to understand that God loved me and he wanted me. He wasn't putting up with me. He wanted me. And that became important to me. He came to save me. And then God called me into the ministry and God sent me to a church. And then God called me to Kentucky and he taught me to love this place called Richmond, even during tough times. And God led us to plant the vineyard and God is still leading us and my family, every one of them, into other people's lives. See, it's important sometimes for you to back up and remember, how did you get to this room today? How did you get in here? Do you think you just stumbled in? That that's all there was to it? You're in here by appointment, divine appointment from God. We uh, sponsor a young lady from the FCA. And I got this in the mail today. Guess what it's from? It's a bracelet. Psalm 139. The scripture reference is, I was knit together, wonderfully knit together in my mother's womb. And her point is, for such a time as this. It's like, wow. Psalm 139. How many times have I said that in this building? Holy cow. What about you? Do you realize that God is not done with you? Do you realize that the enemy is whispering into your ear and telling you that your life is going to fall apart, um, that your job is going to end, that you're never going to get a raise, that you'll never be good enough, that you're never going to be pretty enough, that you're never going to be handsome enough, that you're never going to get a spouse, that nothing ever good will happen to you, that God forgot you? That's what the enemy is telling you, and it's a lie. And I can prove it to you. Back up and think of the significant things that God has done in your life to bring you here today. And how did you get out of wherever you were raised to this spot? How did you get that scholarship? How did you get that education? How did you get that money to go to school? How did you get that job here? Because God was moving in your life. Even when things were difficult. Even when things were hard. Even when you didn't know that God was still watching you, he was still acting on your behalf. And yes, sometimes it is tough. And not acting to give us everything we want, but acting to show us that he loves us. Let me share these three things with you. Number one, looking back helps us to see God's faithfulness. That's what it does. Psalm 77 says, I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Psalm 77, verse 12. Why do we forget the good things God does in our lives so quickly? And, and in our brains, we see all the bad things that are stacking up for us. Like, well, what if this happens to me? Why do we live in that fear instead of, hey, guess what God could do in my life? This may happen. I'm praying for it. If you had to name, if you just name in your head, okay? Don't everybody stand up, but name one significant thing that God has done in your life in the last five years. One. The most significant thing that comes to mind, what would that be? Just real. Oh, yeah, God did that. Oh. See? He was moving in your life five years ago. He really was. He was doing something five years ago. And he has not stopped now. If I asked you to come up here and testify, could you do it? The scripture says to always be ready to give a reason in season and out for the hope that lies inside of us. Could you do that? Because that's what we're called to do. What's the thing that God is doing in your life right now? It might be scary, but it doesn't mean it's not God. 
And it doesn't mean that he will not protect you. He will protect you, and he will be there for you. Number two, looking back helps us to see God himself. Looking back lets us see what God did, but it also lets us see God because we see how he moves. We get comfortable with his voice. We get comfortable with his action. We get comfortable with his mode of operation, if I can say it that way. In my own life, I look back to a word of knowledge in a church cloak closet when I was 28 years old when the, the elders of the church, uh, elder couple came in and said, Joe, my wife and I were the youth leaders and I was teaching adult Sunday school class and it's just a little church. And they said, we think you belong in pastoral ministries. And I said, bless your heart. And then I went home and said, no. I'm, I love Jesus. I'm going to teach adult Sunday school class, but I'm going to buy me a, a, a ski ray. I'm going to get one. I like to water ski a lot. And I intend to love Jesus, but every once in a while, I'm going to miss church because I'm going to be down on the lake in that state below us called Kentucky. And they got this big lake down there called Cumberland. I came down with the Navy, you know, and, and we're going to ski. I never got my boat. I never got my boat. <clears throat> I got to ski on my brother-in-law's boat. But I remember that couple coming to me two years later after I had said at home to my wife. And they said, listen, we're serious. You belong in the ministry and we believe this is a word from the Lord. And I took them up on it. I remember going to Bible college. I remember a moment in my church office in Oklahoma when the Lord said, you're done here. I want you to move to Kentucky. And I had no ties to Kentucky except a friend of mine had planted a church. That was it. And I said, okay, Lord. I remember a moment back in Texas when, when somebody offered me a job. I was making $25,000 and they said, we're going to start you down here at $50,000 an hour in 1987. That was a lot of money. And I said, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord said, you pick. If you stay, I'll be there. If you go home, I'll be there too. And I chose not to stay. Because I didn't think it would be good for my family if I had a lot of money and a little bit of bills. I wasn't very mature back then. I'm not saying I am now, I'm just saying I definitely wasn't back then, okay? I remember looking back to a broken relationship that God asked me to address. I had offended a friend of mine greatly, and, and I did it. I needed to go to him and confess and tell him, and I repented to him, and I asked his forgiveness, and he forgave me. I remember that. I remember the grace of God that forgave me when I sinned against somebody and I needed to go deal with it. I look back to a wedding day when the world felt stacked up against us and we didn't care because we were holding hands and we were going to be married. And today, this, this year, it's going to be 38 years. I remember looking back to four different birthdays for five different children. February is a big deal in my life. December is a big deal in my life. June is a big deal in my life. And April is a big deal in my life. I remember that. I remember birthing the first three. I remember distinctly my wife telling me I wasn't qualified to do the next two. And she didn't want me anywhere near the scalpel. Thank you very much. I told her we had done pigs on the farm. We didn't have any problem. I could do this. She said, yeah, I don't think so. So I held her hand while the twins were born. I remember that. I look back to not enough money, but still dating. Not putting on a credit card, just finding different ways to date, to be together and alone, and making a difference. I look back to God showing us how to do that.
I look back to two years of Bible college and no job, and still to this day, I can't tell you how we did that. I look back to a father-in-law who said that he believed in me when I was afraid of my calling. And I can still hear him and my mother-in-law saying to me, we already knew this, Joseph. We've just been waiting for you to figure it out. And I say to myself, look how far God has brought you. And so I invite you to look at your life and say, look how far God has brought you today. Look at what he's done for you. Like David, list it all. David didn't just stop with what God did in his life. You can see the allusions in that Psalm 18 all the way back to the parting of the Red Sea, the deliverance of, of Israel from Egypt. You can see it there. It's amazing. And God's done that for us. I'm not the man that I need to be yet. Not at all. But I am trying, but I can assure you of this. When I look back at the years, I am not the man I used to be. And I am not perfect. Not at all. The last thing I want to share with you this morning is this. Looking back can be cathartic or it can be debilitating. It's cathartic. It's good for you. It brings peace. It helps you heal. Or it's going to be debilitating. Sometimes when people look back, they still look back in shame, don't they? What is it in 27 years that I've found that people can believe that God can forgive them, but they can't believe enough to forgive themselves? They can't. I'm not saying, like I said, that you've got to put a billboard up and put all your sins on the billboard. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you don't have to carry that shame and that guilt and that fear. The fear is what the enemy's going to use. You can call it shame, but it's fear. The shame is fear that somebody will know. And I'm telling you right now that your testimony, and again, you don't have to stand on a street corner, but your testimony is what somebody else needs to hear because somebody else is going through a struggle and you have the right to say, listen, I'm telling you right now, I was a sinner and God saved me. I went through this and God healed me. I did that. God brought me back and restored me. You have the right to do that. I am brokenhearted for parents that say, well, my kids are kind of going off the rails here, but I can't say anything because when I was young, I did that. It's like, that's why you say to them, stop. Man, we do not have to let our kids beat their heads against the wall until the brain falls out just because we're too embarrassed to tell them what we really did when we were young people. I'm telling you that I was a sinner and the worst of sinners, Paul says, so that somehow you'll understand God will forgive you and you don't have to go down that road. You don't. But I'm not going to live in fear and shame that somebody might find out. I'm going to tell you that God saved me because the enemy doesn't get to whisper in my ear. What if they know? What if they hear? What if they did? No, 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 no. My testimony was I was a filthy little sinner. And I'm telling you right now, if it weren't for Jesus Christ, I would be in this point either in jail or in hell. Those are the only two things that I can see from back when I was 13, 14 years old looking forward, literally. And I look back now and I say, look what God did. Why do I not think he's going to grow this church? Look what God did. Why do I not think he's going to help me around the house? Look what God did. Why do I not think he's going to help me build relationships? Look what God did. Why do I not think he's going to get us out of this jam? Look what God did. Why do I think that he's abandoning me now? 
Why, why would you choose to believe that? Why wouldn't you rather choose to believe that God is saying, man, I got something in store for you that you don't know anything about it. And if you just hang on and buckle up, it's going to be amazing. I got new hips this year. Was not on my Christmas list. I didn't want to pay the deductible. I'd rather limp. And God moved and I didn't have to pay anything. COVID's over now, as far as I'm concerned. All God was trying to do was give me some hips. He got them. It's over. It's going to go away. <laughs> because I said so. Yeah, that's how it works. Anyway, carry on. Paul says in the book of Hebrews, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Man, we're not supposed to carry it. Why is it we can believe God can forgive us, but we pick it back up? Leave it down there. Take it to God and leave it there. You don't have to be embarrassed or ashamed. Be proud enough of God to say he forgave me. Don't be proud of the sin. But be proud enough of God to say he saved me. And if the time comes, tell the person who's going through what you went through what the sin was. You don't have to like share it with everybody. But be willing to testify. Look how far I've come. I'm not there yet. But I'm not where I was. Look what God is doing in your life today. Look what he's doing. John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us from our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God has so much love and forgiveness for you. He just invites you to set the burden down. You don't have to live in that anxiety, that fear, that, you know, whatever it might be. Paul tells Timothy that God will carry him through. That's why I'm suffering as I am, he says. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I believe it and I'm convinced that he is able to guard that which I've committed to him and trusted to him against the day of his second coming. See? Paul says to Timothy, man, I'll tell you who I used to be and I was ashamed of it. But let me tell you this, I don't care what happens to me. God's got my salvation and I'm going home when the time comes. And I can trust him. What's the Lord done in your life in the last year? Man, we had the chance to grow during this all, didn't we? We didn't have just the chance to fight with each other. We actually had the chance to grow. We had the chance to learn. We had the chance to be changed. We had the chance to be transferred or transformed. And that's important. But I felt like when I came in here today that there were going to be people that say, yeah, but does God know me? Does God going to save me? Is God going to keep leading me forward? Is God going to move in my life? And I want to share this with you. I want to hail back to uh, like a real song, um, you know, gospel song from my days, the 70s, before most of you were. Um, but the words of this song were so simplistic and so powerful. In your relationship to God, he didn't bring you this far to leave you. He didn't. He didn't teach you to swim to let you drown. He certainly did not build a home in you just to move away. And he didn't lift you up to let you down. He didn't. 
I want you to know that no matter what it is that you face, no matter what it is that you're going through, that the Lord's already there ahead of you. And that sometimes when it feels like you're in the darkest place, okay, where you're just struggling to believe that God or anybody could love you, that there's a place there for you to sit down and list all the times that he did, just like David did in Psalm 18. And remember, next time you hear Matchbox 20 sing that song, How Far We've Come, that your brain goes, yeah, how far God brought me. I don't know if you saw the allusions scripturally in that song, but they're there. That boy got at least a Sunday school class or two. Yeah. But it's there, and you're going to remember it. And you're going to remember that Jesus loves you. And I want to encourage you in that. These people are up here to pray for you. I don't know what you face. I don't know what you go through. I don't know what voice is whispering in your ear that you're going to fail and it's all going to come crumbling down. It's not. Only what the Lord says is going to happen is going to happen. So whatever happens, I can trust him. Doesn't mean I like it. Doesn't mean I want to go through it. But if going through everything that's behind me brought me to this place where I got to share this with you, I'm good with it. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we come before you right now, I want to thank you and praise you for what you're doing in our lives. I want to thank you for the blessing of Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for the blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness, Lord. I want to thank you for the joy that is ours because we are now children of the Most High God, brought back into the family, never more to be pushed back out. I want to thank you for the love that you give to us because you are our God, but more than that, you are our Father, that we have the right to come boldly before the throne to find help in our time of need. But we come knowing that you are an all-consuming fire, God, and so we come with respect and we come with boldness. We come knowing we have the right, but we come humbly, God, because we want to invite you to lift us up and bring us back home. As we bow our heads right now, God, there are hearts in here that are aching. There are hearts in here that are going to be facing things tomorrow or the next day. There are hearts here that just don't know what tomorrow holds, but they need to know who holds tomorrow. And so I just ask and pray, Holy Spirit, that you visit down upon us, that you come into each of our hearts, that you apply to us the conviction, the compassion, the love, the mercy, whatever it is that we need today to know that you're the one still whispering into our hearts. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you that are at home watching, I just want to encourage you that you can go to vineyardrichmond.com and you can find a little green button down there. And there's a person there that will pray with you as well. That you can just type that right out on your keyboard that they want to be there for you. We're going to jump up to our feet. This is our closing song. We're going to wrap things up. But these people are up here to pray with you and they would love to pray with you. If you are facing something and you just want prayer before you walk on out of here, man, grab a hold of the kingdom of God when, they, when you come up here and let them pray for you, okay, during the song.